0: Welcome to another episode of I Saw What You Did. My name is Millie DeCherico. I'm Danielle Henderson. And we're here to talk about film with you again. Danielle, how are
1: you? I'm doing pretty good. Hang on, let me me crack this DC. Mmm. I feel less guilt knowing that you have been caffeinated today.
0: Throw some Ds on that, on that, on that. (laughs) Um... (laughs) Yeah, remember like a couple episodes ago or whatever it was that I was like I'm only drinking 12 ounces of cold brew a day? That's out the window now. True. <laughs> this is actually is it- the second this is the second thermos. Oh my god. I know. Of cold brew? Uh-huh. Girl, I listen, I cut it with water this time because technically it's You're supposed to. I know. You're supposed I wasn't to. doing that for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't realize I was supposed to. The second one, though, so I had, I've i already had roughly 20, maybe 20 ounces, maybe, maybe 18 ounces. And then I decided to go for like another six. And then I uh, just put water in there. And so it feels full, which is what I need to feel. I need to feel like this entire thing is filled.
1: You should but put a fucking drop of, Coffee in there, a drop of that cold brew concentrate, and then literally fill the rest up with water.
0: <laughs> yes, I I need to be drinking coffee flavored water. Yes, is what I need to be drinking. Do they? You know, if that is that a business idea? Is that a business idea?
1: I'm sure somebody flavored water. I'm, I'm sure somebody would buy it, but I'm also sure somebody has done it. Have you ever? You've never been to Rhode Island, have you? So you don't know about coffee no. milk. What's coffee milk? It's a specifically Rhode Island thing. And it's genuinely like a Yoo-Hoo, like a container style Yoo-Hoo, but it, uh, instead of chocolate, it's coffee, coffee milk. Why does that sound really good? It's really good. Yeah. <laughs> Rhode Island's got beverages on lock between Dell's and coffee milk. It's pretty good. And Damn. it's also weirdly good to bake with. I've baked things with it before and it's good.
0: What? Oh, man. I wonder if Peter Frechette drinks coffee
1: milk. Let's send him a case and dare him to. <laughs>
0: You have Peter. to do it over Zoom. You have to drink this entire thing in front of us. Um It's like well, when, anyway.
1: when people would like make their kids smoke a whole pack of cigarettes if they caught them smoking. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna make uh, you sick. Make you sick <laughs> of this shit. <laughs> well, my parents never knew I smoked. So <laughs> it's not too late, mom pa de go know. Next time you see Millie, make her smoke a whole pack. <laughs> Even I though mean, you don't really I, you smoke know. anymore. <laughs> I actually think they
0: they probably know now. They definitely knew then, too. Cigarettes smell like I hell. I know. And that's like, I was always like, I, I am hiding it from them. There's no way they know. I'm slick as fuck. There's no way they know. But quite honestly, I was smoking on their back porch. <laughs> <laughs> At night, I would sneak out and have friends over on the back porch, and we would be smoking cigarettes back there. So yeah, I don't know why I shit. thought I was
1: being uh, being slick. I wasn't. Y- y'all weren't sneaking shit. You know what's, what's well? I'll give you a little grandma update. She's doing great, by the way. She loves yes. her. She's like adjusted so well. She loves her nursing home. And I was with her the other day. And I'm still seeing her. I'm seeing her more than she would like. Like every time I go, she's like, don't you have anything <laughs> better to do? And I'm like, "God damn, bitch. Ah, what? <laughs> it wasn't enough that I fucking bought a house for you that you did not want to live in. <laughs> And now I'm stuck in the fucking my hometown, living in this place. And every I go see her like three or four times a week, and she's like, "Uh, oh, hi." And I'm like, "What the fuck, dude?
0: <laughs> what does she think you're doing? you just like monitoring. Like, is she thinking like this lady comes in, monitors me too much, wants yeah, to talk too much?"
1: Yeah, she's just annoyed cuz I'm always talking and like trying to make her like she's not always annoyed, but it's it's very funny to me when she's like, "Hi, what are you doing here?" <laughs> like I'm interrupting <laughs> some shit.
0: <laughs> Is it cuz she's with her friends and sh- she doesn't want you to come around when she's hanging out with her friends? That was kind of like us in high school. We're
1: like, yeah. "Mom, get away from me." You know? Sometimes it's like that. Like if she's if she's playing a game, so they have a whole activity schedule for the month yeah. they put up. And I know better now than to go during bingo because oh, not fish, only is yes. my grandma, my grandma's like, shut the fuck up. You better be fucking turning these tiles or, or else. But every, I've never seen a group of elderly women get so hype as they do when they're playing bingo. There's this one woman who, she kind of talks like this. And oh. every, t- the, the couple of times that I've gone in during bingo she's always yelling at the activities lady because she's, like, trying to go around and help people so who can't, like, you know, do, th- do the dabbers themselves or, like, do the planks themselves. Yeah. And she always goes, come on, hurry up, call the next number. <laughs> and I'm like, God damn. And then one time I was literally talking to my grandmother trying to explain to her, like, oh, we don't have the 052, we have the... I was, she goes, hey, keep it quiet over there. And I'm like, oh, my huh. God. God You're damn, busted. Gloria. <laughs> have you...
0: Have you played bingo as an adult?
1: Yeah. I played yeah. with them. Yeah. And I can't do it. It's too competitive.
0: It's too competitive. And also, like, it's really stressful. Yeah. Especially because, okay, bottom line, no one's fucking playing with one card. Period. No One card, You're. it's like you're just showing how stupid you are if you show up to play, like, professional bingo at, like, the Elks Lodge and you show up one card. Most people Absolutely. got, like, 10, 20 cards. hmm and then when they start calling out the numbers, it's this whole like da 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 thing. That is so stressful because you're just yeah. like trying to scan. You're trying to make sure that you got all of the things that they just called out. And when you've got multiple people around you doing the same thing, it's just it's just chaos.
1: You know? Absolutely. And they only, they literally give these women a limit of four cards, smart. Because otherwise, it's mayhem. It's yeah. fucking mayhem. There's one activities lady. And if they, if they have more than four cards and it's only for the ones who are like super lucid.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Because if
1: they have more than four cards they're like, come over here and help me. And she's like, I, I can't, I gotta call the next number. It's, it's, I I appreciate this lovely woman who does the activities with them. Um, Cause they are fucking wild. But yeah, I go, I go sometimes, most of the time I'll go and you know, it's now that it, the weather's still nice. So I take Graham outside and we sit and every once in a while we'll be sitting outside and I'll be talking, and she's just like, can you literally stop talking? I'm trying to enjoy the silence. And then she starts ragging on all the people upstairs. She's like, she's like, you don't know what it's like here with all these people screaming and hollering all day. And I'm like, what do you mean screaming and hollering? They're just old. And she's like, no, nah, I got to get away from them. You need to shut up. And I'm like, all right, cool. We'll have some silent time. <laughs> some silent reflective time. But she is fucking hilarious. And my favorite is when we eat together. Um, A lot of the times, you know, I'll I'll just join her in the dining room. And um, there's this one woman that sits across from her who also has dementia. Mm -hmm. And she usually, she's very sweet. And she usually, like, will close her eyes. And then she'll open them and ask the same question, like, 15 times. Mm -hmm. So, like, she'll rest for a few minutes and she'll open her eyes and ask the same question. At one point, she was doing that. And my grandma looked at me with her eyes like, this bitch. And then she goes, she just starts laughing. And she's like, I, she's like I, can't, I can't believe she's just asking the same questions all the time. And I'm like, bitch, you just asked me what the weather was three times in a row. Like, you are the same. <laughs> <laughs> like, why are you making fun of this lady? You are the fucking same. And she starts cracking up. But it yeah. gets wild in there. They have a whole new crop of um, CNA, certified nursing assistants, and nurses aides. Like these very adorable, young, bright children fresh out of nursing school. They're all so sweet. And these people are giving them a run for their fucking money.
0: Uh-oh. So there's this one lady,
1: and she sits kind of behind us in the dining room. And I didn't hear the full conversation, but this, this guy was sitting with her. The CNA was sitting with her. And all of a sudden, she just took this little juice cup and fucking threw it on the ground. And then she looked at him, and she goes, well, you told me to do it. And I'm like, there's no way he told her to do that. Yeah. <laughs> But both (laughs) both my grandma and I just burst out laughing. And I'm like, see, we can't be together. We can't hang because this is where I get it from. Yeah. She finds all this crazy stuff so funny. She just spends most of the day laughing at people and it's delightful. But there's this one woman who is so sweet and she always wears like a cute little hat and I, every, I always said hi to her. I always said, you know, like, hey, what's up? And tried to, like, I talk to everyone when I go. And I kind of have my own little crew of friends there now, which is, mm-hmm. you know, pathetic and great. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, who are my friends? These old people in this nursing home <laughs> that I look, see three times a week. <laughs> I love it. I love it. But I couldn't crack her. Like, she would always kind of look at me. And at one point, she was, like, I said hello to her when she was coming out of her room. And she just started wheeling her chair back in her room. And I was like, fuck, dude. But God, I got faced. I got fucking faced hard. <laughs> she started backing away from me like I was a fucking ghoul. And I'm like, good Lord. Get in, get in,
0: hurry up.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and you know me, the first place I go is, is it because I'm black? Because <laughs> 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 this bitch trying to get away from me because I'm black. Mm. But no, she was just she's very shy. But then one of the other women I talked to, Pat, who I love, she asked if she could read my book. So I bought her a copy of my book. And once Susan, this other woman, saw that, she started talking to me and she was like, oh, my God, you're a writer. I had a friend who was a writer. I love books. So she loves books. Mm-hmm. So I have started bringing her books and I'll ask her what she wants. And she's like, oh, can you find this one book? I haven't read it in ages. And I'm like scouring the Internet trying to find books for her. And that's how we became friends. Like now she chats with me. And mm-hmm. she's just fucking hilarious. But now my grandma gets mad cuz every time I come in, Susan and Pat want to talk and she's like, "She's here to see me." And I'm like, "You don't even want me here half the time." What the <laughs> <laughs> It is just wild. It's wild. But yeah, yeah, she's she's doing so great. She's so lucid most Love of the it. time. She keeps me in stitches. Her nurses, a, her, her nurses keep me fucking cracking up. But I, you know, meet with them and do like our weekly, like, how's she doing? Yeah. And they're like, the other day we were we were all in her room together. She's going to the bathroom, and they use this kind of contraption to like lift her up and put her on the toilet. Yeah. And um, she finishes and she goes, "Hey, I want a cigarette." And I was like, "You have not smoked in thirty years. What are you talking about?" Hmm. And I'm like, is this part of dementia where you just remember old feelings and shit? But she's like, hey, I want a cigarette. And I'm like, you haven't smoked in 30 years. And she looked at me and both of her nurses and she goes, well, it was a big one and I need it. And I was like, good (laughs) Lord. Ah! Holy (laughs) shit. Good Lord. She keeps them cracking up all fucking day long. (laughs) And I got them them a... um, they have music there, but they were playing music out of this like old CD boom box. So I bought them a Bluetooth speaker. Oh, wow. Like just for the floor. And I'm like, you can yeah. just put it on the desk and you can play it from your phones. And it's so much easier. And everyone's loving it. And um, my grandma's, whenever she hears music, she starts dancing, but she's so limited in her movement. So she kind of like shakes her shoulder and starts like mm. getting down. Yeah. And then she, if she hears music, usually it's like, When we're together in her room, I'll play like James Brown and like, you know, Stevie Wonder and like old stuff because she really responds to it because she knows it. And then one day we're we're just listening to music out in the hallway with all the the friends and, you know, all the folks that are there. And she points at this guy and she goes, that's my boyfriend. And I was like, what? And it was just one of the young... Like the younger CNAs, like one of the younger guys. Yeah. She goes, that's my boyfriend. And I was like, oh, grandma, Like I don't have enough bail money for sexual harassment. Like you got to leave that man alone. <laughs> and she goes, how old do you think he is? I was like, I think he's probably like in his like, late 20s, maybe early 30s. And she goes, deadpan. Oh, what a shame. We can never have children. And I was like, somebody better get this bitch out of here. Like, this is insane. (laughs) She's like, I hope he gives me a shower today. And I'm like, I cannot handle this. And they don't let these people do their fucking job. Grandma's on one cracking everybody up.
0: I Listen, I'm so happy that she's having fun. She's cracking jokes. Um, Are they watching movies in there? Do you know?
1: Yeah, they're watching movies. Um, they have a movie night or movie day, like once or twice a week, usually once. And the last movie they watched was Mrs. Doubtfire, which was a killer. But they kind of watch stuff like that. Okay. Like they're not watching like On the Waterfront or anything like that.
0: <laughs> so sick. they're not watching Saw 4 like your grandma would love?
1: Um, completely. Oh, we have to. So when, when I watch, I usually bring my iPad and we watch movies together Once a week, I do a spa day with her. So I, like, Mm. do her hair and her nails and I put moisturizer on. Yeah. So we watch movies during the spa day. And the last couple of weeks, we've been watching Shauna the Dead because she just fucking loves it. It's, like, one of her favorite movies. But when we did The Exorcist on the show, I watched it there with her. Like, whenever we watch a scary movie, I showed her Hereditary. She was cracking up. Cracking up. (laughs) Cracking up. When that kid's head popped off, she laughed so fucking hard. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, are we watching the same movie? What the fuck? But yeah, I'll just like load up a bunch of movies and ask her like, do you want funny? Do you want hard? Like she always chooses horror movies and we have to watch them like so quietly in her room because I'm like, "Sound, sound carries. I don't want to traumatize these folks. Yeah. But she's oh never God. going, like I always load up some older films and like, you know, like some like It Hot or whatever. She's like, I don't want to watch that. Show me fucking Hereditary. Show me some heads popping off and some fucking ghouls in the corner covered in blood. You should watch Terrifier 2 with her. Oh my like, God.
0: <laughs> just like go really hard in the paint and be like, <laughs> you think you want a cigarette after a big dump? Wait until you <laughs> watch something totally gross and awful. In front of all your <laughs> your friends and roommates and <laughs> these is, people like around.
1: This is how <laughs> eight people died in one day of heart attacks. They all had heart attacks. People are puking in the movie theater, Grandma. <laughs> You're going to love it. she would take that as a challenge. Like, I won't puke. Watch me. And I'm like, all yeah. right, I'll watch. Shit. Oh, my God. She went, to watch, she went to watch Jeepers Creepers one day.
0: Oh, my God.
1: And I was like, the fuck, dude? Can't we just watch something normal? Cause I'm always like, well, I could watch one of our movies with her. Like, whatever we're covering this week, I'll just take. She's like, no, I don't want, want to watch that shit. Why don't I want to watch heat? There's <laughs> no, I don't Damn. see enough blood in heat. And I'm Yo, like, okay.
0: Too fucking G for heat. That's pretty awesome.
1: <laughs> she is way too G for heat. She's like, this is boring. Like, she just, she is so wild. She's yeah. truly delightful. And it's kind of nice too, because I just kind of get to be her granddaughter again. Yeah. And something that the nurses are constantly saying is they're like, we always know when you're here because we can hear you laughing. And mm. nobody laughs like that when they come to visit, or like, you know, the residents don't laugh like that when people come to visit, but you always get her and everybody laughing. So we just love hearing it when you're yeah.
0: here. Yeah. Dude, you're I'm I am absolutely certain that you're just this ray of sunshine coming through those doors. Cause those places can be really depressing.
1: Yeah. They you know? can be. And they do a good job there. I got to say, like, they keep them engaged and they keep them, you know, happy. But, you know, they're also they're also individuals and they have their own needs and they have their own desires. And I'm like, I can just come in and chat and talk with y'all. And,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, I love it. I absolutely love it. I, I took her out of mass one day. I went and saw her on a Tuesday. She was in mass because um, it's like a Catholic nursing home. Yeah. And I took her out. And, and I, I left that day. I was like, oh, I'll just let her finish Mass. I'll come back later. And then I went back the next day. And I'm like, wait, y'all doing Mass again? So I just went in and I was like, hey, how you doing, Graham? She's like, good. And I, she's like, I want to sit outside. So I took her out of Mass. And she was like, how are you doing today? And I was like, I'm doing good. And she goes, yeah, good, except for the fact that you're probably going to hell because you just took me out of Mass. And I was like, you fucking asked me to take you out of Mass. <laughs> the fuck, dude? <laughs> now I'm going to hell. <laughs> she was just cracking herself up. Uh, and then we called her—my um, great-aunt, who lives in California, um, is 92. She just turned 92 in August. Mm-hmm. And so we called her for her birthday. And I was like, oh, what are you doing today? And her daughter was there. Like, her daughter and daughter-in-law were there. And I said, what are you doing for your birthday? And she goes, well, we're going to breakfast. And then we're going to see the Meg, too. And I was like, this fucking family, like, these genes run so deep. I love it. <laughs> I (laughs) love it. She wrote me a review when she got back. She sent me a text and she's like, it wasn't as good as the other one. But, you know, like not as many people got eaten or whatever. And I was like, good Lord, this fucking family, these jeans."
0: I know. I'm loving those Like Kind of hilarious. Well, it's so fun. I mean, like considering that you could come from a family that Doesn't watch movies because they're not Christian or something. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) I'm trying to think of what what is the complete opposite of your family. Exactly. Uh, It's like the dad from Footloose or something. So I'm, (laughs) I'm thrilled, and it totally is you. Like that's the thing. It is you. It's why you love. (laughs) What's that scene from that movie that you love with the wheelchair on fire?
1: That is from Hannibal.
0: Oh, Hannibal. That's right. That's right.
1: (laughs) It's from the TV show Hannibal, but it was also in the original Manhunter.
0: Yes. Yes. So.
1: (laughs) That shit cracks me up. Oh, my God. I love it. That's you in a
0: nutshell, basically, is uh, dark humor and terror. Oh, God.
1: Truly. And and not falling far from the tree. Not falling far from the tree. So it's just, I don't know. It's just been really nice. And I'm glad that she's, she's been there almost a year, you know, so I'm just kind of glad that she's. She's comfortable and I feel safe with her there and she's herself and it's just, it's bonkers. But it's also, it's kind of nice to like face my own mortality a little bit. Like I've never really had a problem with death or dying because I grew up with older people and, yeah, you know, but it's kind of it's just like an interesting aspect of life. To kind of be middle-aged and, and think, oh, there are so many years ahead. It doesn't feel like it, even though, like, you know, half of my life is over. But mm-hmm. there are a lot of years ahead, and they can be good. And, um, yeah, I'm just kind of, you know, looking forward to it. I, my, I reconnected with my fourth-grade teacher. Wow. Because um, her mom was in the facility. And it's kind of—the story's kind of crazy. But the day that I saw her in the hallway, her mom actually was in the process of dying, Oh no. So she kind of left me a car. she we talked real quick and I was like, "All right, go do your thing." And then she left me a card like a week or two later and with her contact info and she's like at the front desk and she's like, "I'm so sorry, like the day you came in my mom was dying." And I was like, "Jesus Christ." Wow. But um I just love I love reconnecting with her and just I don't know. It's just it's nice to be at this age and feel some semblance of, like, peace and happiness, and to be able to give that to my grandma is all I ever wanted. I did not want the end of her life to be bad.
0: Yeah, of course.
1: Or to be a struggle in any way, so. So, yeah, I'm just out there hanging out with these oldies, and they are fucking wild.
0: Well, you're you're a good granddaughter, and I'll tell you, there's people out there who are doing little to nothing for their elders, so the idea that you're there... Making everybody feel great, not just your grandma, but everybody else that's in the facility, the people working there. I mean, I just, you know, you're like, you're such a, such a good person, such oh, a special person. Makes so,
1: my, my favorite thing in the world is when, just as a last anecdote, is when, um, when lunch is over, when a meal time is over, some people, you know, are, they're in wheelchairs, but they can push themselves, but they're very, very slow. And you've never seen anyone more impatient than my grandma post lunch. And she's like, "Can we get this parade moving?" So usually, I'll walk. (laughs) I'll walk up to the front, and I'll just kind of ask people, like, "Hey, do you want to ride?" And they're like, "Yeah." So I'm like pushing wheelchairs down the hallway and cracking up. And I'm like, "You can't be holding these people up. They everyone's gonna got to go to the bathroom. You know that that runs right through them." And so I was pushing this this one woman the like the other day. I was kind of like, "Oh, do you want you want a lift?" And she's like, "Yeah." So I pushed her and asked her where she wanted to go, and like to her room or to the activities or whatever. And I was pushing her and she goes, she's so It kind of it makes me tear up a little bit. She's so sweet. But she goes, um, she's like, you're she's like, you're a granddaughter, right? And I said, yeah. And she said, well, you're a good one. And we all love like you very much. And I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Thank you. Yes. (laughs) Thank you so much. But yeah,
0: that's so that's so wonderful. And like, even though you come on this podcast and you you talk that shit. And yeah, <laughs> you laugh <laughs> <that> loud <laughs> and you and you come down on people who put chafing sticks on their thighs <laughs> in the middle of the street. I always knew this. I always knew this about you. You're the fucking, you're the nicest, sweetest, most helpful person. And oh, not for nothing, you. if you ever decide on a career change at some point in your life, I feel like you need to go into some kind of care, like some kind of yeah. job. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like, I feel like you've got the gift as much as you may not think you do. I mean, you're out here like caring for your family, but also other people. So, you know, I don't know. That's something that's very special. And I feel like health care or elder care needs people like you.
1: Well, I appreciate that very much. And I, I definitely did ask if I could volunteer. I'm like, oh, could I help with activities or, yeah. you know, do any... Because I'm there a lot and I'm close and I, I do love it. Like, I really do love talking to older people and yeah. making them feel validated. And, yeah, me too. you know, just kind of honoring their life. Like, you know, people don't ask them about their life very often. So I kind of just like hearing what they have to say and just giving just giving them time just giving them time it's all good but i think yeah it could definitely be something that i do for volunteering and um i love it i bring them all um i just kind of ask what people need because you know sometimes people don't have family anymore Mm -hmm. so there was a woman there who like i noticed her glasses were falling down a lot and i so i just bought her like um an eyeglass cord Yeah, And I'm like, oh, you can adjust it behind your head if you want, or you can put it on your neck. And it's just like little things like that, that they just like to be seen, you know? So I just, I like doing that. So thank you for, thank you for seeing that in me.
0: Well, I, I absolutely, I absolutely see it in you. And also I just feel like, like I'm all, I'm just so happy that everything worked out with your grandma. I mean, I know it was kind of like touch and go there for a while, I don't feel like you moved back home in vain. I feel like even if she's not living in your house, you are there with her as much as you can. You're making everybody's day brighter. I'm just you know, saying that I think that everything happens for a reason and this happened for a reason,
1: so. Thank you. You know what else happened for a reason? Our fucking theme. Oh, our
0: theme. Oh, our theme. Oh, our theme. I'm like... Dancing like a grandma,
1: doing some like she <laughs> some intense pops. shoulder work. Some, oh my gosh, she's fucking popping and locking that shoulder all day. <laughs>
0: popping <it> and locking.
1: <laughs> Talking about her goddamn boyfriend. And I'm like, There better not be a man in the picture. One, please, I will be please. jealous, and I cannot live being jealous of a ninety year old woman with a boyfriend. <laughs> that cannot be my life. But also, again, I do never I never want to buy my grandmother condoms. I just don't want to be in that position. And they have signs up all over the place that are like, here are your rights as a a resident. And one of them is consensual relationships. And I'm like, nah, we ain't doing that shit. You don't have my consent to be in a relationship. (laughs) (laughs) That's
0: why she's always telling you to fuck off, Danielle. I know, right? You're ruining her fucking vibe. She's like, listen, I'm trying to fuck in here. I don't (laughs) need this granddaughter of mine to keep coming over. This
1: fucking frigid ass granddaughter. (laughs) this single bitch she's (laughs) always over here hanging out with me instead of going out fucking well listen
0: single bitches i think is a really good transition to our theme
1: truly truly do you want want to tell them what it is or do you want me to tell them what it is
0: well i feel like you should say it because again best title in the world (laughs) i i contribute nothing to the titles and i just think this one is hilarious. So you ahead.
1: came up with the theme, but I decided to call it Smells Like Garbage, Feels Like Love. <laughs> and smells <it's> about, <laughs> Like Garbage. <laughs> <laughs> because we're doing movies about romance, fall romance in New York or romance in New York. That's right. And you know New York smells like garbage. It, it's my favorite city and I, I can be very real about the fact that New York smells like garbage and there's rats it, everywhere.
0: It does. It smells like garbage. (laughs) It's fine. What you get for the garbage is culture, (laughs) the center of trade and industry in this country. So it's a trade-off. It's like, you know, it smells like shit, but my God, is it a a great town.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That should be the new logo instead of I Heart New York. (laughs) Smells like shit. My God, what a great fucking town.
0: (laughs) Well, and like... I I I think in terms of I I, I wasn't some genius that came up with this theme. By the way, it's just sort of like I thought. Okay, it's September. You know, maybe the weather's changing in some parts of the country. You start getting that like little brisk fall feeling in the air, mm-hmm. and for whatever reason, for when I was when I was younger, I was always for what I don't know how this worked out, but for some reason, I was always going to New York in the fall. Maybe because. Tickets were cheaper? I don't know. Or maybe it's just such a great time to go there. Yeah. But for some reason, I always associate fall with New York City. And then you just have that feeling of, ooh, it's fall. Like you're wearing a little coat or a little cardigan and you're just feeling like, I don't know, romance is in the air or something. It's just a feeling.
1: It really is. And it's very, it is very unique to, I think it's unique to New York in the way that, you know, people equate springtime with Paris or, you know, yes. even if they've never been there, it's like there's a certain time of the year where a city just kind of comes alive. And yes. to me, that's fall in New York and the trees are changing. And it's like, there's a crispness and everyone's looking to lock someone down for the winter. And like, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's just great. It's just beautiful. So I'm I'm glad we're doing this. And I, I love our movies so much this week. I hadn't seen yours in a very, very, very long time. But I also love that both of our fall movies, and we kind of discussed this too when we were picking this theme, is like we're looking at older people who are in falling in love, yes. which is something you don't really get to see a lot in film unless it's like, you know, an indie film or a European film. Like American-made films, we don't really care about older people falling in love unless it's a, we make a joke out of it, like, yeah. you know, Meryl Streep and it's complicated or whatever. Like,
0: yeah. I, I definitely love that about our movies too. And actually I have something to say about that at some point when I go, but it's um yeah, it's funny because I, I want to say that in both of our movies, the protagonist is like in their thirties, which yes. to me still feels like they're babies. You know, it's like yes. the, con- the concept of being like 37, 39 seems so young to me, but also in this, context in this era in Hollywood like being 39 and single was like basically being dead yeah (laughs) you know it's like death. no yeah it is a it is a middle-aged woman who is single and I think both you know our movies kind of address that obviously um
1: yeah and I also I think it's interesting too upon the rewatch of both of these films I could be wrong but I know for your movie for sure I'm correct for my movie, I think I'm correct. I'm not sure, but neither one of them will pass the Bechdel test. Oh, <laughs> every single time there's two women on screen, they're talking about dudes, which yeah. is weird. Because again, like that that era was very much, you know, uh, kind of focused on the loneliness of the older single woman. Yeah, older being like anything old, older than twenty five. Yeah. And so they kind of limit their lives in a way, but I think that was just a cultural moment. I don't think that these films do a disservice to the women yeah that are in them. I just think that it was it's strange. It's another strange cultural moment to recognize that like, oh yeah, this is pretty standard back then that like women were always talking about dudes. It was very hetero and very, you know, focused on finding love or discussing love or discussing men or, you know, it just kind of was an interesting interesting little aside for me this time.
0: Well, and like to that point maybe what I the other thing that this movie shares is that these are movies about ethnicity. This is like, you know, yes. Jewish people, Italian people, and mm-hmm. there's always the there's always been, I think in both in both cases, there's always been a kind of comedic trope about finding love and having really pushy relatives and the whole, yep. you know, this and that. So I think that's also, like, a thing, too, that's changed, maybe. Yeah. Whereas, you know, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there are still immigrant parents who are trying to get their kids married off with kids, okay? Did your family ever do
1: that to you? Actually, no. (laughs) (laughs) There were no arrangements made?
0: No. I mean, you know, it's funny I I was just talking about this the other night with some friends of mine who are a little bit younger than me and they've decided to not have children and you know they're mm-hmm. everybody in their families are really pushing it, you know. I'm obviously past the point of having kids. So I at a certain point I think my parents were like, "Okay, cool. We're not." <laughs> but they never really were. I was telling them. I was like, "My parents never really were." I think yeah. They recognized that I was very ambitious and that I had a lot of stuff to do and I was just really kind of not interested in going there. And plus, when I was younger, I was always like wrapped up in boys. And I think that they were horrified by that.
1: Right. <laughs> <They were laughs> like, like, oh, God, please they turn her like, back towards academics or music or anything.
0: Exactly. Like, we don't want these fucking bums hanging out <laughs> around. Like, oh, and they God. were, and they were pretty much all white dudes. So they were basically like, uh-uh. Oh, my um, granddad
1: used to call, he used to call me out on that shit. Yeah. Like, you bring another white boy around here? And I'm like, we're just friends. He's like, I don't give a shit. What yeah. is going on here? Like, you just fucking focus on school. And stop bringing these goddamn boys around. You need to be friends with boys.
0: Oh, yeah. My, like, to this day, I remember my mom and dad, Basically, like I'd bring these like white stoner dudes to the house, and they would like <laughs> they would like sometimes would fall asleep on the couch and spend the night. And my mom's like, "You always got these like boys sleeping on our couch and eating oh, our groceries. God. Like what? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like what is this? What are you doing with your life?" And I'm like, "Oh God. So and I'm just happy that none of them were like, "You should marry this guy and have kids." They yeah, would, like, leave these guys. <laughs> out of here and go to college and get
1: get a degree. Like That was so. kind of like an inadvertently slick move on your part where you're like, oh, yeah, I'll bring some boys around. I'll bring like people who are like River Phoenix and I love you to death. <laughs> yeah. And they were so terrified that they're like, we will not push her. And this is what she's into. We are not pushing marriage, yeah. children, nothing. That was a very slick subconscious move on your part. Yeah. And also
0: I just had very low standards my entire life so they just <laughs> they were like well we're not going to force her in anything cuz we don't want
1: this in our house okay We so, don't want we don't want this at Thanksgiving we don't want yeah. We don't want to have to buy the children of this relationship anything any toys. Yeah,
0: yeah. Oh god so, thankfully I'm I'm happy I was very I'm very pleased my parents That is one thing that I have absolutely loved about them my entire life is that they never forced me to do anything I didn't want to do. They never pressured me to go into, you know, any area of life I didn't want to go to. And it's great. So I was watching these movies this week going like, holy shit, wouldn't this be a nightmare?
1: Oh, yeah. (laughs) Because in your movie particularly, it goes hard.
0: Yeah. Oh, real, real hard. And Um, you're
1: you're going first. So if you want to jump in, go for it. Can't wait to talk about these.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. So my movie for the theme, sorry, every time I, I get set up for this theme and I'm like, I start laughing. So I'm just trying to. <laughs> <laughs> my, my movie for the theme, Smells Like Garbage, Feels Like Love, It's a movie from 1988. It was written by Susan Sandler and directed by Joan Micklin-Silver and it's called Crossing Delancey. You made an appointment with a marriage broker? When I was your age, I was married, I had a life. A dog should live alone, not people. I seem to remember at one point, like very early on, I think we were like joking around about this movie and you were like, don't tell me you're going to like make me watch Crossing Delancey or something like that. (laughs) We were just like joking. (laughs) And so for some reason, I internalized that for many years.
1: (laughs) So I did this to myself is what you're saying.
0: (laughs) Like at some point this week, I was like watching this movie again, and I'm like, I wonder if Danielle is going crazy that she no. finally watched this movie. Okay,
1: <laughs> I loved, loved, loved it.
0: Okay, good, good, good.
1: I loved the music. I loved the feeling. I loved oh, the too. New York of it. It just, it was great. It was great. I was
0: like, how, how could she not? It's about bookstores for Christ's yeah. sake. Anyway, I so let me give you kind of a little bit of background about Joan Micklin-Silver, just because she's sort of a famous female director, um, and she died fairly recently. Mm. So she was born in the 30s in Omaha, Nebraska. Her parents were Russian Jews, and her Jewish identity, I think, would just be such a huge part of her career right she made a lot of mm-hmm. movies about Judaism and the kind of Jewish Jewish experience when she first started out she i had read that she she had somehow befriended or met somebody that was working on Sesame Street and i guess this was in the 70s when Sesame Street was fucking awesome damn yeah not to say it's not awesome now but you know it's like oh
1: 70 Sesame, Sesame Street, Street. yeah I'm I mean quiet. you got one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven, 11 12. twelve like the fucking Pointer Sisters were on Sesame Street yes <laughs> yes which
0: blew my mind when I found out they did that song by the way yeah but also just like I don't know I I sort of have this like romantic vision of Sesame Street in the 70s because I would see pictures of like all these old puppeteers and they're like bell bottoms and they're yeah. like turtlenecks and shit I'm like wouldn't it be like such an amazing job to be working for Sesame Street in the seventies? I don't know. Totally. So it's just it's such there a there were vibe. no rules.
1: There yeah. were no rules. Just right, Outback Steakhouse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: So, so Joan McLean Silver somehow befriended you know somebody that was working on Sesame Street, and then she got into writing you know films for educational film companies, right? And kind of, that's kind of how she started making movies, too, is just kind of doing, like, educational films. And then eventually, in 1975, she made her first feature-length film called Hester Street. Stars Carol Kane. If you watch TCM, sometimes it's playing. I'm just telling you, it's it's out there. Um, and it's a great movie. Like, it's about a Jewish family also living in the Lower East Side of Manhattan. And, you know, her first feature was, was awesome. And then from, from that point, she was making more and more feature films before she had made Crossing Delancey. And it's interesting because if you read about her during this era, you know, when she's getting her film career started, but also as she was kind of like moving through the Hollywood system, she kind of famously had a hard time because Hollywood was fucking up her screenplays and movies like every female director we've ever talked about on the podcast, right? And even though... Her husband was actually pretty involved in her film career. He, he produced a lot of her films. She experienced a shit ton of misogyny, which, again, imagine that, right? From
1: top to bottom, I'm sure, like producers through to actors through to yeah. everyone.
0: And I read this interview with her, I think it's from 1979, and she said that uh, she recalls a story about one of the studio execs that she worked with, and this is a quote This guy said, quote, feature films are very expensive to mount and distribute and women directors are one more problem we don't need. And fuck off. What? I mean, you don't even want to
1: know. Oh, my God. I would have flipped a table full of knives over onto this fucking dude.
0: Yeah. So imagine that this is the climate for women making movies in the late 70s. Add to this, this idea that she was writing and making movies about Jewish identity and stories about Jewish people. And I read that when Crossing Delancey was coming along, she had said that the studios were telling her it was quote unquote too ethnic. Jesus Christ, right? And it wasn't until Amy Irving who is the lead actress in Crossing Delancey, it wasn't until Amy Irving stepped in and basically said, oh, wait, I'm married to Steven Spielberg. Mm -hmm. And Steven Spielberg, of course, very much appreciated the Jewish aspect of Crossing Delancey. And that's how it got off the ground, basically, is because of their involvement. You know? That is
1: wild that it took... And and it's wild, too, that it took even though Amy Irving is the one who got that ball rolling, that it took a man, Steven Spielberg, to stand yeah. up and say, hey, I want to throw my weight behind this as well to get it solidified. Right. And that's that's true allyship. It's like, I don't want your words. Like, take some fucking action and yeah. help us get shit done.
0: Right. And, you know, I so it's just, you know, she's spoken a lot about that. Like, if you go back and you read interviews with Joan Micklin Silver and just sort of like, things that she said in the press you know she's very much like yeah it was rough for me which is unfortunate but also the story that we always tell whenever we talk about these female directors especially the ones that are working in the 70s and 80s right i mean it's just it was a fucking shit show for them and the idea that they actually made movies at the end of the day is remarkable so anyway all right so i'm gonna do a one sentence synopsis of crossing to lansing. An uptown single woman in her mid 30s debates whether or not she wants to date a man from the old neighborhood. <laughs>
1: Perfect,
0: right? So we have Amy Irving as we mentioned before. I think I think we know who Amy Irving is. She's very famous. She was most famously in Carrie, but also tons and tons of other things. She she's playing a character named Izzy. Short for Isabella, I believe she works at this very prestigious, slightly stuffy and pretentious bookstore in Manhattan. And she basically runs this acclaimed series at the bookstore, which is you know, bringing in all these famous writers and you know, and it's 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 a beloved thing that people come to. And she gets a lot of mileage out of that. She loves her career. She's single. She loves her life. It's like she's kind of living in, like, what, uptown New York? Yeah, I think Upper West Side, probably. Right. And it's like, and she loves her friends, and they're modern, and they're cool. And she's just kind of living this, like, great single life. And, you know, she at one point has this speech that she gives her Bubby, which we'll talk about Bubby, obviously, in (laughs) just a second. But, you know, she's sort of like why do I want a man? I like, I know all these great women. They are all like successful and have great careers and I'm totally satisfied. And I'm, you know, just because I'm like 34, or whatever, 35 mm-hmm. and single. Like, why would I want to give up what I have? You know? Um, and
1: there's, she, she doesn't tell this to Bubby, but she's also got a fuck buddy, which is like, get it girl.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's the thing. So, She's kind of not in a serious mode when it comes to dating, right? She's got this, like, kind of side piece guy who is apparently just a friend of hers who was married, actually. But he seems to kind of come around when he's having fights with his wife. Duh. But that doesn't seem very serious, obviously, to her. Um, And then she has this crush on one of the writers that she works with at the bookstore, he's kind of this current it author type of guy. And his name is Anton Mays. And he's played by this actor, Jerome Krabbe. It's Dutch, by the way. That's, if I, if I slaughtered that, I apologize. He actually, he was in a lot of early Paul Verhoeven movies. So but anyway, he, he plays this character, Anton Mays. I actually know uh, the actor as the violin playing asshole husband of Barbara Streisand from The Prince of Tides. Yes. <laughs> so uh, that's, that's essentially the same character he's playing in Crossing Delancey. He plays this like intellectual European asshole. Guy, and I think that that he either played villains or he played that guy a lot mm-hmm. in his career, uh, and he's still alive. And apparently, he's a famous painter. Oh wow! Yeah, and he's you know living in Europe, and is apparently his art is on stamps in the Netherlands or something. It's amazing. Damn. But anyway, so Anton Mays, he just wrote this book called The Cave Dweller, <laughs> and Izzy is promoting it at the bookstore. And like I said, I don't have to tell you, Anton is this like ladies man type. He's very full of himself. And he's like one of those guys that like puts on the charm and, you know, sort of quotes literature. And he's this like romantic, poetic guy. It's all game. All game. He's also Um,
1: really mean to women. Like, he's just very, or at least I'll say he's dismissive of women.
0: Right. He has this habit of sleeping with all of his assistants and all of these assistants are young women, right? It's like, I think we know the type. And of course, Izzy is just enchanted by this guy because he's this kind of like intellectual sort of, like, you know, he's adjacent to this world that she's in and she, you know, has this bit of a crush on him. But, you know, ultimately between him and this married guy that comes over once in a while, she's just not seriously dating. I mean, these are all unavailable men. And I don't think she really cares at the end of the day. Meanwhile, she's, she's, she visits her grandma, her bubby, in the old neighborhood on the Lower East Side. And this is like where she's from, right? Because it's a primarily Jewish neighborhood. And, you know, this is kind of like her origin story, right? And of course, her bubby is constantly scheming to try to set her up with Jewish men, her Bubby brings over her friend Hannah, who is a marriage broker, essentially.
1: Hannah is incredible.
0: <laughs> and she, like, I mean, it is, like, a professional matchmaking, like, I wouldn't, you know, it's not, like, the millionaire matchmaker on Bravo. It's just, like, that, like, two old ladies, one of whom has a Rolodex of business cards and wallet-sized photos of single guys. <laughs> you know, it's like that.
1: <laughs> this analog fucking matchmaking.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Again, it's like, where are you getting these wallet-sized photos of people? And you're just handing them out to strangers, being like, date my
1: daughter. Well, that's just it. Their families are handing them out. Their families are like, take this picture. We know you're a matchmaker. If you find anyone from my from my boy here, from my from a girl.
0: <laughs> that's when I was this that was the moment that I was like. I am so happy my fucking parents never meddled in the dating totally. stuff. Because I'd be, like, getting those, like, Olin Mills sheets of, of wallet-sized <laughs> photos, and they're just cutting them out at the kitchen table, being like, all right, we got a stack of these, we're just handing them out to men. Like, let's just pimp our <sighs> daughter out in and, and, and any way we can.
1: Just sending them out, like, pen pal style. Like, this is Millie. Yeah. She's 27. <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> She has a good job. Oh, good. Because you know. bu- Bubby's be scheming. Bubby's be scheming.
0: 100%. So what happens pretty much immediately is that Bubby and Hannah decide they want to fix Izzy up with
1: the pickle man. They're good pickles. What are you going to do? Right. They're good pickles, and he's Peter Rieger. What are you going to do?
0: I know. And, <laughs> like, I think everybody I know has a crush on the Pickle Man, has a crush on Peter Riegert as Sam Posner. Like, men and women. This yeah. Pickle Man cannot be denied. <laughs> <laughs> He's fantastic. And he, the, the backstory with the Pickle Man, Sam, right? He's the son of the former Pickle Man who <laughs> pa- who passed away. So, Sam, it, it, I think that the story suggests that Sam was in college. He, went, he was doing, you know, work in the private sector, and then his father dies, and then he's he is now taken over as the new pickle man, right? And he's, he's, you know, basically out there on the street in the Lower East Side, shoving his hands into pickle barrels and putting them into jars for people. And this is his job.
1: Now. Bare hands in an open vat in the Lower East Side. Like, yeah. I am crawling with bacteria just thinking about it. Oh, I know. But that's how it used to be.
0: Yes. But Sam, okay, he's smart. He's handsome. He's thoughtful. He's poetic, actually, in his own way, right? Mm-hmm. Which is like so funny because that's the thing that Izzy thinks is so enchanting about this fucking Anton. But then you're like, but Sam is actually really smart and cool and amazing too, right?
1: Sam is everything. Sam is truly and innately everything that Anton is pretending to be.
0: Exactly. He's soulful and real. And everyone loves the pickle man. I love the pickle man.
1: I know. People, people be out here like truly focusing too much on the package and missing that. that layer of what's underneath. And I think that a lot of people, like it made me think of, you know, of course what was going on in the movie and during this time, but also in present day, like I think a lot of people focus so much on who they think they should be with, what kind of person they think they should be with instead of looking at like, well, who actually can give me these things? It might not come in the package I was expecting, but it's just a lot of people believe in a lot of meat on the bone. I'm just saying.
0: Absolutely. And this that's the thing ultimately, because as much as we all love the pickle man and that we think Izzy should fucking marry this guy the minute she meets him, she's got to get there on her own, in her own way, right? It's like mm-hmm. the, the, the chief situation with this is that he's from the old neighborhood. You know, in her eyes, he's like a simpler kind of guy, like Danielle is in the nursing home. He's helping out all the old folks in the neighborhood. He's like dust in their windows and he's going to baseball games and stuff i mean when it comes down to it he's not in her world which is which is this other world that she's in the uptown intellectual set right and it got me thinking about there was a movie that came out recently i don't know if you saw it it was called past lives mm, directed yes. by celine song right it j- literally just came out like i don't know a couple months ago that movie absolutely wrecked me. By the way, I don't yeah. know if anybody has seen it, but it like I it wrecked shut me too <laughs> shut down. Yes, absolutely. I was I was crying so hard by that movie. I was in the lobby after the film Aww. with the people that I came with, two of whom I don't super know very well, and I was literally like, I cannot break down in front of these people. Like, I felt so embarrassed that I was like, I was literally sobbing and I was like, oh. I have to go to the bathroom. Just run to the bathroom, get it out of your system so you can face these strangers, <laughs> not cry oh God. in front of them, from this fucking movie. This movie wrecked me. Anyway, but past lives actually kind of reminds me a tiny bit of Crossing to Lancy in that that movie is also about a woman who is more or less caught in between these two worlds right and it's it's a racial ethnic quandary it's like this woman originally from korea she's now in america and she's got this american life this chic world where she's a writer and she dates you know a white guy and everything but then she meets you know she meets up with this old flame of hers from korea from the old neighborhood and it's kind of like, what would it be like to go back to that? And, you know, he's the pickle man of past lives. He's basically <laughs> that person. So I don't know. It's it's just like this, I, this story I think is so fascinating. And I don't know if it's just because of my own shit, of my own identity and um, Americanness ness or whatever, but like, you know, that idea of somebody who straddles the line between these two worlds and, like, what is expected of me and can I date the pickle guy? He's, like, too Jewish for me and I'm now this, like, uptown lady with this fancy job and what would that look like? But, you know, Izzy protests, like, a lot during the course of this movie and, like, she even, like, tries to set Sam up with one of her friends and then she finds, like, she's kind of jealous that they're getting along, so it's complicated. And... The entire time Sam is d- telling her pretty much directly, I like you. I would definitely be a good boyfriend, but you have to get over your bullshit about me being the pickle man. You just have to.
1: And I'm just I'm loving this pickle man trope
0: that we are <laughs> that you are creating. This is a stock character for me in my life like the pickle man character. <laughs>
1: And, and, I loved that scene so much where she tries to set him up with her friend and then she has this slow realization of, like, he is a great guy. And she's even though she, in that moment, is like, oh, I like this dude, she still can't get there enough to, to express her feelings.
0: Yeah, de- definitely. And it, it is agonizing for all of us watching this movie, right? Because guess what? Anton is just such a shit. Like, there was a scene that I, I'm sure is. I don't know. It was probably not a throwaway scene because Joan Micklin Silver seems to be a very intelligent person. But like, there's a scene where Izzy, Anton, and one of Anton's little flings is, they're all walking down the street together and Anton sort of edges Izzy off the sidewalk and he makes her crash into a garbage can and he
1: doesn't even care. Oh, he doesn't even stop. He doesn't stop. It's the assistant who stops and is like, hey, are you Okay. Yeah. I that
0: scene pisses me off so much. And again, it's not, it's a very subtle scene, but like it just communicates kind of everything about who he is. And Absolutely. You're like, you don't want a guy who's going to make you walk into a fucking garbage can and not even care. Right? Yeah,
1: cuz he's he's oblivious to your needs, to your basic needs as a human being like he's not even paying attention to you enough to notice that you're about to walk off the street or off the sidewalk and into the street or into a literal pile of trash
0: right and I think it obviously at some point comes to a head I won't tell you exactly how and I will also say that this is a romantic comedy I think we know how it might end right but I love these kinds of films okay this movie is so cozy. It's a drama romance about adults, you know? And I used to think that, I don't know, fairly recently, I was like, obviously thinking to myself, Hollywood sucks. They only make movies for, they make movies for adults, but the adults have the brains of 12 year olds. Is what I was telling myself. Right. And so whenever you see a movie about actual adults you're like holy fucking shit and then something like past lives will come out or even like the nicole halafin center movie that came out a few months ago you hurt my feelings yeah and i was like these are the fucking movies for me right these are the movies for people my age i love them they're not it's just a very simple concept it's about relationships about peoples and personalities and friendships and that's the shit that I love, you know, absolutely, and also not for nothing, I love eighties movies about people who work in publishing. Like, did that not feel like such an eighties movie thing? By the way, where like every protagonist was a writer,
1: like yeah, or they were or some or they book, worked. bookstore adjacent person, exactly. It's, like, bookstores, publishing, like, or art. Like, they're, they're an art, a gallerist, books in selling books or books in 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 publishing books.
0: Yeah. And there was always, like, the editor side character who's, like, a total wackadoo. Like, wasn't that happening in The Fly? I was thinking about The Fly. <laughs> yeah. I was like, yeah. And I just am like, has anybody written about this, oh, about God. the the idea that publishing and art collection... We're just like two professions in every 80s movie that people have. You got, you got a sub Write it up. Oh, yeah, that's right. I do have a sub stack. <laughs> I will write that on my sub stack. <laughs> I forgot I had that thing.
1: Um, yes. Everyone should be signing up for it, too. But you got a sub stack. You write it. I will write it. I
0: will. Thank you for telling me to do that. But listen, just to wrap up. I love this movie. I love the world. I love the characters. I think it's just such a slow, wonderful, cozy film. Not for nothing. The hottie David Hyde Pierce plays one of Izzy's coworkers in the bookstore. And then maybe my favorite scene in the whole movie is the one where Bubby is taking an old lady self-defense class (laughs) at at the community center. It's so good. It's so good. That actually is what I think about when you tell me stories of seeing your grandma, is I imagine that happening.
1: Not far off, not far off.
0: I want to see these women in wheelchairs like trying to grab purses from each other and <laughs> like pretending to be, you know... Criminals oh or whatever. It's so funny. That
1: scene was so fucking funny. And I, I also love, you know, it's something obviously dear to my own heart, but I love the relationship that she has with her grandmother and that that was also something that was very normal and is very culturally normal in certain sex is that you, you do care for your elders and you, do, yeah. you are still in their life and they are still in your life, you know, as you age and get older. And so I just, I love that their relationship was so tender and she was like you know plucking her chin hairs and Mm -hmm. they they talk to each other like real people like real adults like she didn't infantilize her she she didn't listen to her when it came to dating but she didn't infantilize her granddaughter and you also get to learn a lot about what Bubby's life is like like what is it like to be you know a retired elderly woman living in New York City yeah and you know going through the shopping in the neighborhood and seeing who she talks to and like I just I love all that I love that so much
0: Oh my God. And like that's that's really, I think, when, at least for me, you really fall in love with the pickle man because he's so nice to her bubby.
1: Exactly. And you're just like, yo. Just effortless. Get,
0: o- get over Anton. Get with the pickle man. Come on. Why do we Is love these think? bad
1: dudes? These bad dudes. But yeah, she's know. just kind of enchanted by the life she's trying to build for so long that I think it's hard for her to dismantle her own her own desires because they're so they're so intertwined, you know, like yeah. working at this bookstore and hosting this, the most popular reading series in the in the city and dating, like it's all intertwined for her. So it's, you're kind of watching her dismantle her own um, hypothesis about what her life should be, which is, I love. Yeah. I, I love this movie.
0: Me too. I'm so glad. I'm so glad. And speaking of love.
1: Oh boy. I
0: fucking love your movie
1: so much. I know. Ugh. I know. It's killer. My pick for the theme, Smells Like Garbage, Feels Like Love, <laughs> was, released, was released in 1987. It was written by John Patrick Shanley. It was directed by Norman Jewison. My movie is Moonstruck. Where are you taking me? To the bed. Oh, God. Okay, I don't care. I don't care. Take me.
0: La Luna, making La people Luna. crazy, making people <laughs> crazy. That would be. That's what my grandmother would say in that accent.
1: La Luna. Oh God, I love this movie so fucking much. Everyone knows, or most people know, that this is the movie that got Cher an Oscar win. Also. Olympia Dukakis also won for Best Supporting Actress, and John Patrick Shanley won for Best Screenplay for when this when this film came out. And we've talked about John Patrick Shanley before. He's a prolific writer. He's written several wonderful films, and he does plays, all kinds of things. But we haven't ever talked about Norman Jewison, who is just an incredibly prolific director. So Norman Jewison is is. Still alive, first and foremost. Um, he's a Canadian director. Um, he shares something with Joan Micklin Silver, which is that he also got his start in children's television, mm-hmm. but for the BBC. So he would kind of direct and work behind the scenes on some children's TV shows. Mm. But he went on to just become this award-winning director who made so many of your favorite favorite films, mm-hmm. including, but not limited to, Agnes of God, Jesus Christ, superstar, Fiddler on the Roof, in the heat of the night, The Thomas Crown Affair, The Cincinnati Kid. I mean, he just did it all. Yeah. He had such and he had such a um like in the course of his life, I think because of how he was raised and what was important to him, he always focused on diversity and identity and and most of his films. So it was a big part of his creative life to kind of look at segregation and just things that were that he noticed in his own life that didn't sit well with him. So please, if you haven't already, like you should watch some Norman Jewison movies, um, including this one, which is probably one of my favorite of his and just a favorite in general. My one sentence synopsis of Moonstruck. A 37 year old widow who feels cursed with bad luck has her life turned around by an unlikely encounter with her fiancé's estranged brother. Mm, Perfection! So our protagonist in this film is Loretta Castorini-Clark, played by Cher. And they, when I tell you that my jaw dropped when at one point in the movie they referred to her as a 37-year-old... Yeah. I was shocked cuz even when I first saw this movie in the 80s I'm like oh well she's like in her 50s. Yeah. She's an old lady by, by 80 standards. Yeah. She's in her 50s. But she's 37. She works at a funeral home. She lives in Brooklyn with her <laughs> she lives in Brooklyn with her mom, her dad, her grandfather and his five dogs.
0: <laughs> this grandfather, can I just say <laughs> oh my god. First of all, I love the, like, Umberto D-ness of the old Italian guy with his dogs. That just is, yes. like, so wonderful. But th- I have to say, he reminded me of my own grandfather. Like, just the... Really? Oh, just the way he talked and the things that he said. And he was kind of, like, man a few words. But then when he s- said something, it was, like, very profound and interesting. And just, like, even the way they dressed, like... Obviously, like my family's from Italy, so it just—I always hone in on the, the the cultural stuff about Moonstruck. But it was like it made me miss my grandpa. I was Aww. so yeah, just really really made me miss him. So anyway, just had to say and he,
1: that. Such a sweetheart, like so funny and such a sweetheart in this movie. And you're right, like he definitely is the embodiment of that like like Italian grandpa character. And wow. he loves Loretta. They have a great relationship. But part of the reason she lives at home is because she is a widow. So her husband, we come to find out later, was hit by a bus. Uh, but she thinks that <laughs> when they're talking about it, she's like, he was hit by a bus. Like, did he die right away? Oh, instantaneously. It's just so fucking funny. The pace of this movie is hilarious. It's a rom-com, but it's act- and it's kind of like a... a dramatic romance but it's really to me a a comedy first and foremost right so she thinks she has bad luck and it kind of was kicked off by the fact that she and her husband her her dead husband had their wedding at city hall and they didn't have you know like a big ceremony they didn't she wasn't given away she just thinks she did it all wrong so that's why he died and she's cursed um so when her boyfriend Johnny Camareri, who's played by Danny Aiello who I also thought was like born at age 55.
0: Oh I know. And I and I forgot too that I maybe like right before either before or around the same time he was in the Papa Don't Preach video. Yes. The Madonna video. And I just kept thinking, oh, this is the Danny Aiello I remember from childhood. Moonstruck and Papa Don't Preach.
1: Completely. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he had a look. He had a look for sure. When you say <laughs> Danny Aiello, a very specific image pops in your head. Yeah. Um, so he's he's her boyfriend and when he proposes, he just kind of blurts it out there at this restaurant He's he just kind of blurts it out. And she insists that he gets down on one knee. He didn't bring a ring, so she insists that he give her his pinky ring and she's like yeah I'll do it like I'll marry you but you gotta do it right and so mm-hmm. she's on her way to take him to the airport to drop him off which is so funny because he's he's going to Italy because his mother is on her deathbed and <laughs> there's this <laughs> there's Sorry. this one point no it's okay I'm not being
0: crass by laughing about this woman being on her deathbed by the way
1: no okay. it's a very very funny scene when he actually gets there yeah but it's kind of funny that she says um, when they're in the restaurant ordering, she's like, no, order the manicotti because it gives you a base for your stomach. I've never in my life thought, thought of manicotti as a base.
0: <laughs> that is instant diarrhea town for my stomach because of oh my the,
1: God. The,
0: the cheese. Oh, man.
1: It's so much going. That's a full meal. That's not a That's, base. but it's
0: The ricotta, I could never do the ricotta. It just was always. Oh, I
1: love a good manicotti, though. I love a good manicot oh. manicot. But he's on his way to Italy. His mother's dying. And in, they're in the car and she's already freaking out about the wedding. And he's like, she's like, when are we going to get married? We need a date. We need to set a date. And he's like, all right, we can do it when I get back. My mom's got like two weeks tops, which is just, this conversation is hilarious. So they make a plan to get married in a month when he gets back after his mother dies. And as he's getting on the plane, right before he boards the plane, he goes, oh, by the way, can you do one thing for me? Can you call this number? And ask my brother to come to our wedding. We haven't spoken in five years. Oof. And you're like, all right, what the fuck's going on there? I also love this scene because as she's watching the plane take off, she's standing next to an old lady who's like, hey, you got someone you love on that plane? And she's like, yeah, my fiance. She's like, oh, I put a curse on that plane. My fucking sister's on it. She's so my man. <laughs> she goes on this tirade. She's like, I hope it crashes into the fucking watery deeps. Like, she put a curse on that plane. Dude, so
0: funny. It's so funny.
1: It's the greatest. And so when when Loretta gets home, she, you know, it's late, but she tells her dad the news. Her dad, who's played by Vincent Gardenia, you would definitely recognize him on site. Her dad, Cosmo. And he... His reaction to her news of I'm getting married is so fucking funny because he's like, don't do it. I don't like his lips. <laughs> like, it's like, he's like, he doesn't like Johnny at all. He thinks Johnny's a baby. And and come to find out her dad, who's a plumber, is actually having an affair. Um, but we'll get to that in a moment. Uh, but he just is like, don't get married. Like, you're cursed. I agree with you. You're fucking cursed. Don't do it. But then they go upstairs wake up her mom and tell her mom that she's she's getting married. And her mom, first and foremost, pops her eyes open and goes, who died? Which is like such a mom thing.
0: Of course.
1: Like, why are you waking me up who died? And then she asks her, do you love him? And Loretta says, no, but I like him. And she's like, oh, good, because love makes you crazy. Like, Like, they're just so fucking funny. And then later on, we also learn that her mom, played by Olivia Dukakis, who plays Rose, that Rose actually knows that her husband's cheating on her. So there's this very interesting storyline that emerges in a way that I think John Patrick Shanley is uniquely qualified to do, which is where he takes us from the central love story into how love and romance affects everyone, like all of the people in in the cast. So her family's like, eh, I'm not really into it. Granddad's fucking hilarious. Granddad's letting his dog piss on graves and all, and howling at the moon. And all he (laughs) cares about is that, like, his son should pay for the wedding. He's like, Loretta's dad should pay for the wedding. Yes. So then we have Loretta go to meet Ronnie. First she tries to call him, and he hangs up on her. Mm -hmm. So she goes to the Camareri Brothers Bakery where Ronnie works, and... He's working in the bowels of the bakery in the oven. And I love how Nicolas Cage, who plays Ronnie, is presented in this film. Because when you first see him, when he's on the phone with her, you only see his back. And he's in like a white tank top and he's sweating in front of an oven, but you don't see his face. You only see his back and you hear his voice. You see him on the phone. Then when he actually turns around, when you actually meet, meet him for real, when he's meeting Loretta, And she's like, hey, come to my wedding. Your brother Johnny's getting married. And he's like, instant intensity. He's like, Johnny took my life from me. And you're (laughs) like, what the fuck? And so he (laughs) is, it is just fucking incredible. He tells this story about how Johnny came into the bakery for some bread one day. And Ronnie got distracted, turned his head, and his hand got caught in the slicer. And he lost his fingers. And because he was maimed, his fiancé left him. So for five years, he hasn't talked to his brother. He has no fingers on one of his hand. He has, like, a wooden hand. And he is, like, pachichi levels of shouting about it. (laughs) He he says some of my favorite lines from any film in this scene. Where he's just... And Loretta's like, what the fuck did I just walk into? I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. But he's like, I shoveled dough in this hot hole in the wall. (laughs) And one of my favorites is when he shouts at Chrissy, who's the woman who works upstairs in the the bakery. He's like, Chrissy, bring me the big knife. I'm going to cut my fucking throat. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, I won't do it. I won't do it, Roddy.
0: Oh, my God. God. It's so good. It's it's so so
1: intense. It just like builds in intensity and builds. And then he says possibly one of my favorite lines of all time. At one point when I had an answering machine, this was my message. I recorded it from the video that mm-hmm. I was watching when you start screaming. I lost my hand! I lost my bride! Johnny has his hand! Johnny has his bride! You want me to take my heartbreak, put it away, and forget? It's just building in this intensity. And Loretta's like, what the fuck is your problem? Let's go talk somewhere. <laughs> like, I'm sorry your hand is all sliced up, but can we talk? Like he's real people. Of, he's full of passion, baby!
0: Oh. He's got that wooden thing like just like in the air being like ah and I, I, it's such a good so oh good. my god such an iconic good scene it's like epic Nicolas cage role i just love it love
1: truly it. epic truly it's so good and they do they go up he's like she's like where do you live <laughs> and he says you expect he's the kind of guy that you expect him to just like point to a hole in the wall next to an oven and be like, I live in there. But he lives upstairs. So So they go up to his apartment and Loretta makes him a, a steak and it's just this really hilarious conversation where they're trying to like tell each other who they think they are. So she's like, you're like a wolf who bit his own hand off to get out of this bad relationship. And... It ends with them shouting, like, you're a bride without a head. You're a wolf without a foot. Like, it's just, they're just shouting at each other and explaining how they see each other. But it's full of passion, and they kiss each other, and then they fuck. And again, this is Johnny's brother, her fiancé's brother, and they fuck. So during the same night, we're watching her parents, Cosmo and Rose, have dinner at home, and we get to meet her aunt and uncle, and... Everyone's kind of like talking about love and how they met and they look at the moon and it's – it's the moon is huge. And come to find out, it's like it's a fuck moon because the aunt and uncle go and get it on and he goes crazy. Like he loses his fucking mind after that. You see him the next day at work and he's like, ah, like he had sex, he's losing his mind. But Loretta's <laughs> also looking at this moon and just kind of like – I don't know. It's just kind of like a really tender story and moment that you have to watch to kind of understand the – Basis of, of why the moon is so important, yes. Uh, in this moment, but the next morning, all hell breaks loose. So next morning, they're both like, both Loretta and Ronnie are screaming at each other, like, "You ruined my life!" <laughs> and she he says, "I love you," and she smacks him and says, "Snap out of it!" And it's a very famous scene. Absolutely. And she's like getting dressed in a closet, so she's basically like, "We got, we can't do this. This can't happen." And Ronnie's like, all right, look, if you come to the opera with me, I will leave you alone because there's two things I love most in the world are you and opera. So they're going to see La Boheme at the Met. And one thing that's so charming to me about this scene is she looks at him and she says, where's the Met? And this is a lifelong New Yorker who grew up in Brooklyn, but that's just how her it just emphasizes what her life actually is. Yeah. She's not like rolling around Manhattan, she's not Brooklyn is her home. That is where she lives, that is where she does everything. She's she has no idea how to even get to the Met.
0: Yeah, she's not Izzy. Izzy would have right. definitely known where the Met is. This is Loretta is not about that character.
1: No, and she's just so, and she's just lived like a very small life up to this point, not just geographically, but like, you know, her husband died and she kind of locked herself away and just Mm -hmm. thought she didn't really deserve anything. She didn't deserve to, you know, look pretty or do anything. So even though she's really tough and funny, she just kind of, is. she's limited herself. And so this burst of passion from her with Ronnie is surprising to her, but it also feels really good and so of course like any good catholic she feels guilty because she feels good so <laughs> she goes mm-hmm. to confession right away she's like all right um, i took the lord's name in vain i slept with my fiance's brother and i bounced a check and the priest is like wait back up back up to that second one and he's like well you know you should figure it out and kind of gives her the the two rosaries but then she sees her mom also in the church and this scene is so tender and weird too like i just love it where her mom is like, your, your father's cheating. Like, I know he's cheating. And Loretta doesn't want to believe it. She's like, nah, like, there's something else going on. But you just see the pain in Olympia Dukakis' face. And I'm like, oh, Rose is really grappling with, what do I do? Like, at this age, at this stage of my life, my husband's cheating. And, you know, what am I supposed to do about it? We have a whole life together. We have a house. Like, what am I supposed to do? But we move that kind of comes to a head in a very unexpected way because when Loretta goes to the opera with Ronnie and it's lovely and so romantic and beautiful and she's crying at one point and they hold hands, it's just, it's so sweet. And then during intermission, she she comes out and sees her father and her father is there on a date with this woman that he's dating, that he's been with. But she's also been caught because she is with Ronnie and he knows that's not, her fiance. So they've kind of caught each other at the opera. And at the same moment, Rose goes out to dinner and you know by herself at the same restaurant that we saw in the beginning of the film, and she sees a man that we saw at the beginning of the film, John who's played by John Mahoney, this guy Perry. And when we first meet Perry, a woman is throwing a glass of wine on him. And it happens again in this scene, except Rose actually talks to him and she's like what the fuck's going on? Come sit with me and have dinner. And they kind of strike up a little romantic intensity. And Mm -hmm. you're kind of wondering, like, where is this going to go? Because Rose is, and what I love about this scene is Rose is kind of saying to him, you know, these women are too young for you. And he's explaining why he's chasing them. And it's kind of like, he's a professor, so he's kind of talking about how they make him feel. And what I, I love about this scene is she's like, yeah, that's bullshit. Like, you are an old man. Like, you are exactly what you... Like, you can't use women to make you feel younger. You're not. Yeah. And he kind of, like, appreciates that about her and starts fawning all over her. And she's like, ah, I'm too old for you. So it's kind of strange to watch... To watch her be able to so succinctly tell him, like, you need to grow up and stop being predatory about these young women. But then she also feels like, well, I'm not a young woman, so I don't deserve that kind of love anymore or that kind of passion.
0: Yeah, there was that moment where I thought, I mean, when I saw this when I was younger, I didn't pick up on any of this. But now that I'm an adult and I was watching this scene, I was like, do I want this to continue? I was like, do I want Rose to go back to his apartment or something? Mm -hmm. And then... And then when when she doesn't, I was relieved. Yeah. You know, and I don't kinda know why I felt that, but I just was.
1: I think I felt I felt the same thing. And I think it's because I don't I didn't want her to be vindictive and to kind of have an affair to prove that she could, or to prove that, you know, like her husband wasn't the only one who was desirable. It made me feel like she was more confident. Yeah. And that she was more um more centered in what she actually wants, which is her family. You know, she doesn't want to be her husband. She wants her husband to stop philandering. Yeah. But I liked her in that moment. I thought she was, it just displayed a real confidence that I kind of loved.
0: Yeah. And it's like, because, you know, obviously one of the themes in the movie is that La Luna is driving people's romantic... (laughs) wiles like it's like the moon is making people fall in love with everybody and each other and it's this like powerful force but that right. she's the one as much as she's like walking down the street arm in arm that's about as as far as it's going to go and the moon can't do everything it can't force her to cheat on her husband who's cheating on right. her you know so in that moment i was like relieved that she was she went yeah. upstairs,
1: so. I was as well. I was as well. And I think there's also, like, right after Loretta goes to confession, um, there's this really sweet scene where she goes to the salon. And the salon is called, like, the Cinderella Bar. It's really cute. And she goes in looking like this 60-year-old woman and comes out looking like Cher, basically. Yes,
0: <laughs> I know. Because nice. she's
1: fucking Cher. And it's like so funny that they, and it's what's hilarious is all the people in the salon are like, she's like, I think I'm ready to cover the grays. And they're like, thank fucking God. Like everyone yeah. rallies around and is like, yes, she's going to let us do something. Yeah. She really was, she sweet. looked like a
0: 60 year old woman and then came out looking like she did in the If I Could Turn Back Time video with the
1: exactly
0: the crotchless bodysuit on the aircraft carrier. I was like, ah, this is what we're getting. We're getting the old Cher, the old 80s Cher. Oh,
1: God, it's so good. And it's also, this is one of those movies, and this moment especially solidified it for me because at a certain point, I forgot she was Cher. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. This was a movie that, you know, she was great in Mask, and we'd seen her act before, but she was really an amazing actor in this film. Like, yeah. you, you forget her, for what she is known most for, and she really mm-hmm. encompasses the character so much that when she comes out of the salon, you're like, oh, fuck, she share." <laughs> yeah.
0: And like, that's, <laughs> that's the thing I think that, I mean, uh, even though she won an Oscar for this movie, but it's like, that's the thing that I think people really forget about her is that she's a good fucking actress. Like, even in, like, Mermaids and... Yes. She was in um, this movie, Come Back to the Five and Dime, Jimmy Dean, Jimmy yep. Dean. Like, she was in a lot of things and she's she's good and i and I don't know if her music career just always eclipsed all that, but it was like in this movie she's so awesome and totally deserving of the Oscar by
1: completely, the way. oh completely, and she just again like inhabited this character so fully, and yeah. I felt like I know what Loretta's life is. I felt like I knew what her drives. Was and she just really brought this character to life, and I think John Patrick Shanley is a great writer, of course, but I think that Cher was perfect for this, like absolutely yeah. perfect. And I'm not going to spoil the end of the film, but I will say that when they come back from the opera, is probably my second favorite Ronnie scene, yeah, because he's trying to get her to come upstairs with him, and she's like, "Nope, I, this was the deal. I go with you to the opera, and then I'd leave you forever and marry your brother," and. He says something, and I'm paraphrasing here, but it's similar to this, which is again, he's a very passionate man and he's kind of building to this. And he says, We're here to ruin ourselves, break our hearts, love the wrong people, and die. Like, he is just like, Stop living in your head, stop being in- so in your head about this. Like, just make yeah. a decision with your heart, even if it's the wrong decision, even if it will ruin things. Like, you have to be passionate. Now, he is also a one-handed man who has not had sex in five years, so he could have been driven by something else. (laughs) Still. But I feel like the passion was real. Like, he specifically wanted her. Like, he just could not resist her. So they do. They fuck again. And she has this great, like, walk of pride back home that early that morning, and she's kicking a can down the street, and it's just so cute. And again, not going to ruin the end of the movie, but let's just say that the night before, Johnny has come back from Italy. Nobody knows where Loretta is. And he's like, fine, I'll be back in the morning. My mom has had a miraculous recovery. I told her we were getting married and she's fine now. She got up, she got dressed, she's fucking fine. So when Loretta comes home in the morning, all hell breaks loose. Because Johnny's coming over and he's about to find out some shit and so is she. So it's, okay, a fucking delightful movie. I love seeing the romance bloom between people who are not typical in films um, and it felt real and to see them have passion and to see them have questions and to see them you know trying to do the quote unquote right thing and be on the right path but also be true to themselves and it just I don't know it felt it felt like a very evolved love story and I just really, I love love this movie. Nicolas Cage is fucking hilarious and insane in the best possible way in this movie. But yeah, it's just, it's a really interesting look at two people who normally would not or should not have been together. And what do they do when they find each other?
0: Yeah. I love this movie so much. I remember it so much from childhood because... It was something that, you know, we watched at my house because it's about Italians. So, you know, like it played a few times in in my house on VHS. And mm-hmm. there's so many good characters, so many good quirky characters. Like, you know, I always forget that Nicolas Cage is Italian. I mean, yeah. like, you know, <laughs> but it's like, I don't know. I just love all the actors in it. And, you know, it's, There's a lot of characters in the film that old school Italian people like, you know, because there's that whole thing about like New York Italians and then Italian Italians like from like Mm -hmm. from the old country. And it's kind of like the like the grandpa character to me was such the old Italian, like not the New York version, not the one that immigrated, but like the old style and that reminded me so much of my grandpa like i just you know I, it just reminded me of family members and the fucking <laughs> the mom on the deathbed where she's just like screaming she looks like <laughs> the white witch and she's just basically like when is it gonna happen when am i dying like leave me alone like you know oh, he's like cry, he's crying danny Ayello's <laughs> crying at her bedside and she's just like oh shut up Awesome. Again, I was like, it just reminded me of maybe you and your grandma. Like, y'all are just like, get away from me. Stop like, crying about me.
1: <laughs> we get it. You love me. Fuck off.
0: <laughs> oh, God. It's, it's so, so good. good.
1: It's I so good. And it's just, and I I, I love it so much. And it's just the New York of it. It just felt yes. like such a real New York movie. It's such a real New York movie. And I, I don't yeah. even know... Like, it's hard for me to quantify that sometimes, but this is one of those films. It just feels like a real New York movie to me. And yeah. I just adore it. And I love, I love watching people fumble through life and make mistakes and just sometimes make decisions based purely on their heart instead of yeah. their head.
0: And just the charm of, you know, because both of these movies... Are kind of about these ethnic enclaves in New York, right? Just the yes. you know the Jewish neighborhoods and the Italian neighborhoods, and it's like, I don't know, there's a charm to that, and I don't know. Just I love this week. Watching these two movies together was the best decision we ever made. I
1: I'm know. I love it. it. Oh, I love it. and these, the other thing about these two films that I just adore is that these are two women who would possibly never have met what could be the loves of their life. And they were right around the corner the whole time. That's the yeah. other thing about New York that I kind of love. It's like, yeah. they were right there. But because Ronnie works in a basement in a bakery, you might never have bumped into him or never know anything. So the way that they meet people, the way that you kind of meet someone who could just become everything, that's the—that's New York. The possibility is always right around the corner.
0: Look, for a couple of black-hearted bitches, we... Love love sometimes.
1: <laughs> sometimes we love love.
0: We do. All right. So if you want to email us, please do so at assawchidpot at gmail.com. Send us questions for bonus episodes, please. We also have a P.O. box. If you want to send us handwritten letters, if you want to send us a baguette. Can't <laughs> <laughs> I can't tell ah! you if, if we'll actually get it in time. But just if you just want to send us stuff. Go to the link tree on our Instagram and you'll find it.
1: Also, don't forget that we're doing something new for our listener questions and you can now send in a voicemail and we'll play it on air. It can be a question, a comment, a fart story, whatever you want. Just know that if you send it in, we're assuming we can play it on the show. So please make it 60 seconds or less. I'll say that again, 60 seconds or less and record it in a quiet space. All you have to do is record a note on your phone and email it to I saw what you did pod at gmail.com.
0: And also, too, hey, if if you're old school and you like social media, <laughs> uh, find us on Instagram and Twitter at I saw pod. And we also have merch, too, if you want anything that we're putting out there. We don't have sun tea jugs, okay? Like, we just don't have it yet.
1: Shipping glass is a nightmare. Just know that.
0: Yes, it is. And the moment we actually looked into it, by the way, we were like, oh, shipping glass is going to be such a nightmare. So, yeah. Um, But there's other stuff there. Just go to the, you know, exactly right shop and find us um, under I Saw What You Did.
1: And our bonus episodes are constant. We have new bonus episodes once a month. They drop on the main feed every third Thursday. And our old bonus episodes are no longer behind a paywall. We're just kind of rolling them out every couple of weeks on Wednesdays. So there's some weeks where you get to hear us three or four times.
0: Oh, hell yeah. Danielle, do you want to tell the folks what our movies are for next week?
1: Hell yeah. (laughs) Our movies (laughs) for next week are... Euro Dreams of Sushi from 2011, and Waitress from 2007.
0: Oh, my gosh. And in, very intriguing indeed. Yeah. Danielle, always a fucking pleasure doing this podcast with you.
1: Let's go to New York and sniff some garbage and fall in love with some real <laughs> weirdos. Come visit me in New York. We'll smell garbage and fall in love with weirdos. It'll be great. <laughs>
0: Done and done. <laughs> Bye. Bye.
1: This has been an Exactly Right production. Produced by Casey O'Brien, mixed by Edson Choi. Our theme song is by Tom Breifogel, artwork by Garrett Ross. Our executive producers are Georgia Hardstart, Karen Kilgariff, and Daniel Kramer. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at iSawPod. And you can email us at I Saw What You Did pod at Gmail. Follow I Saw What You Did on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate and review the show. And visit exactlyrightstore.com to purchase I Saw What You Did merch.